Welcome back to The Multipod. I'm your host, Ted, and I'm very pleased to be joined by three people today. This is a great uh, group experience that we're going to have here today. So with me is uh, co-host Vanessa. Hello. And co-host Sarah. Hello. Welcome back. And very pleased to introduce, brand new to our podcast, but a podcast veteran, uh, Sarah Davis, who's joining us from uh, California. Hi. So it's great to have everybody here. And... um, this is uh, an episode we've been thinking about, a topic, I guess, for a little while, off and on, and it really has kind of come to a head in the state of the world that we're in right now. It, it occurred to me a couple of weeks ago that as we're seeing, well, we're recording this here at the end of uh, April 2020, so of course we're still in the midst of our coronavirus pandemic. We don't know how mm-hmm. it's going to end or what's going to change or what, but uh, we can imagine at this point there's going to be some pretty big changes to the world in some shape or form. And a big part of that is how we deal with the end of life, with death, with grief and grieving. And as a kind of uh, compounding that, it's not just grief over over death, but also grieving the lives we used to have, the lives we used to know, the routines and things that we were familiar and comfortable with. And as I say, we just don't know. We don't know what's going to play out or how it's going to change. And, and that uncertainty certainly compounds things even more, not knowing how things are going to evolve. But it really comes back to the topic of grief. Now, for some of you listening, members of the Putty Tribe, you'll know that we there's a, a fairly recurring thing in the Putty Tribe. It's called the Death Cafe. And uh, maybe some of you have participated in that. I've done I've gone to a couple. Yeah, here in Edmonton, I've gone to a few as well. And I think right now, I don't know if they're doing them right now. They might be doing them virtually. I'm not sure. But I'll probably go back once we're doing social gatherings again. Cool. That's just it. Yeah. I mean, it could be done virtually. And that's how we've done it here in the Putty Tribe, of course, too. Yeah. But uh, it's a chance for people to talk about death and grieving. And I mean, trying to get some sense to it and, and get your head around it. And my takeaway from it, at least, was the idea of of confronting it and, and hopefully in a positive way. But, you know, as a society and as a culture, and maybe this is, is the case for many cultures around the world, it's it's such a difficult subject. It's a delicate thing, and we don't talk about it much in general. And it's, it is something that the more you kind of get your head around death, the end of life, grieving, and so on, it, it helps you feel better about it. It helps you kind of um, confront it. So the reason we talked to Sarah today, Sarah Davis, is uh, because... Sarah had the initiative and the inspiration, she'll tell us this more of the story, but a couple years ago, to tackle this topic head-on, and to do so through a podcast. So, it's a wonderful podcast, which certainly we recommend everybody take a listen to. We'll have all the links, and you may have seen a little bit of chatter about it in the Putty Tribe forum, but it's called Breathing Wind. Sarah talks to people who have experienced grief in their life, but with a particular angle of having lost their parents. Their parents have passed away, perhaps when they were young, or perhaps the end of life, but they've experienced that particular loss. So that was her angle of focus, and she has found amazing conversations and people telling their stories about going through that process in you know, the weeks, the months, and even years afterwards. That's the focus of her show. So she brings a bit more of kind of an in-depth knowledge to this, and we'll get some of her perspective, and we'll chat a bit about uh, how we deal with grief and grieving here over the... Uh, over the coming, you know, weeks, months, and maybe years. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. So I'll turn it over to Sarah Davis. And uh, first of all, again, welcome to the show. It's great to talk to you here on the Multipod at last. You too. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. It is. 
And it's, I find <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this, even though we are talking about grief. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not, not to make light of it, but it's like, it's something that can be tackled in, what would you say, kind of a holistic way, kind of a well-rounded way, you know, that it's not all, it's not about, it's not all misery, it's not all sadness. There is sadness, but there's so many other components to it. I'm sure you've experienced a lot of that in the stories you've heard on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I can talk about that. Um, but I wanted to just first acknowledge what you're saying. And I think it's a huge misconception with grief that it's all sadness and feelings related to loss. There's so many other feelings that can be associated with grief. And you can even feel great joy when you're in the middle of grief. And that's something that other people who expect you to be a certain way when you're going through a loss they don't expect. They don't expect to see that you might have moments of joy when you've just had a significant loss. Mm-hmm. But yes, the you had asked me about the podcast, and I'm happy to talk about that. Yeah, well, and tell us a bit about if you don't, if you're comfortable again with it, but your own experience of what brought you to tackle this subject so uh, deeply. Yes. Um, so in 2016, my dad passed away from cancer. It was a very advanced form of. ALM, which is a type of blood cancer. And it was aggressive. He was diagnosed three months before then. And it was also very strange because there was an 80% chance that he would survive. He was otherwise relatively healthy. But it was just aggressive enough for him to have gone through it. And for me at the time, I always thought my dad was just going to survive because he's very strong and a champion. And so for me, I had a lot of denial around his condition. And because he was so far away, uh, there was a distance component to it too. I didn't see what my mom saw on a daily basis. So when it happened, it was just so shocking for me. And I'd never experienced anything like it before. So... I probably had a very similar experience to many multipods who've gone down the rabbit hole of topics. Um, (laughs) I basically tackled grief from all of the angles that year and the next year. I was like, what is this? What is this? You know, what, what am I doing? What, how do I get through this? How do I understand this from the mental angle, from the emotional angle, from the social angle, from the um, spiritual angle. (laughs) And I just, um, for lack of a better word, I was obsessed with the topic. And at the end of the day, it was my process. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but it did help me to see it from a holistic angle. What I realized toward the end of 2018, actually, was how all of this experience of studying it from all of these angles could actually help me think of ways to help the rest of the world, which is something that I've always cared about is how can I, how can my work give back to the world? And at the time, I was working in a very corporate structured type of job that was producing content that I didn't always feel was adding value to the world. And There are arguments that compliance trading could add value to the world, which is what I was focused on. But um, (laughs) for me, I, I just was, I was really struggling with that and really struggling with that concept of adding value because I felt that that was really important for my life. And it was even more important 
because I had gone through this experience of losing someone who was at one point in my life really close to. So being faced with death and knowing what my values were, I felt like I really had no choice but to do something tangible with it that might help other people. So I, so I began thinking about it then, but I didn't really realize the podcast was the right platform for me. I had tried writing about it. I was thinking about publishing a book. I was thinking about getting really active in different communities, but all those things were not resonating with me the way that stories were and the way that specifically for me and going through my own grief, hearing other people's stories about loss were effective. So for a little while, I thought, well, maybe I need to learn more about it first. <laughs> and so I applied for a This American Life Fellowship. I did not get it, uh, sad to say, but it would have been great. But um, in the process of applying for it, I had talked to other folks who said, well, just start your own podcast and get the experience that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more it really resonated with me, but I still didn't didn't jump for it until after I'd quit my job. And after I posted on Facebook and just asked if anybody had any stories they wanted to share. 30 people later, <laughs> in <Whoa. laughs> two weeks, I had 30 interviews, pre-interviews. And, and then I began scheduling interviews that fall of last year. And that's how it kind of began. It, it was uh, surprising to me how many people wanted to talk about their experience. And I think specifically related to parents, I think a lot of people had that experience and then they made meaning out of it. And they changed their life in ways that probably are unexpected to people. Like grief can actually create this transformational growth. And and it's at its core, you're grieving because you're losing something that you've, you love or that, that experience or that person or that, that thing you've lost is, is, is love at its core. And how can you make sense of that? How can you make meaning of that? And that's what so many people who've lost parents end up doing. It's coming up with a couple questions for me. Um, thank you so much for sharing that whole process. That's so interesting. And I'm just wondering, um, I've dealt with loss in my life. Of course, I've don't have any grandparents still on the earth. And, uh, and I've had people who were quite young, even in my life pass away. And, and I have my own experience with dealing with my own mortality, which has been a very interesting thing right now. I can talk about it pretty calmly. But I'm just curious if you as a host of that podcast, feel that it gets very emotional for you if you want to share mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and and how you deal with that as a podcast host like what what do you do you know yes um that's a really great question i in september and october so i tackled it like it was a project because as a learning experience designer instructional designer type of person uh I, i'm very well aware of how to create a project a creative project but it's, uh, <laughs> I wasn't accounting for all the learning that I would be doing and all of the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I think we all know how that feels. <laughs> so um, I scheduled a lot of interviews in September and October. There was one day mm. I had three interviews that day, Oof. which is way too much. I mean, yeah. even for a lighthearted topic, it would be too much. And it's too much to do without any counseling training or um, how yeah. to process, process other people's emotions. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And so by the end of October, I was like burnout. I was, uh, I remember I went to, I went backpacking that November. Um, I have a really close friend who's an ultralight backpacker and I once a year usually get to go with him. And I just remember talking with him and uh, about the podcast and about all of my worries and anxieties about it, because what it triggered for me it was it was that emotional trigger, but the thing that it triggered for me the most was anxiety. Hmm. I was just so worried about other people's stories, and I was worried about like being able to give them the right the right place for telling those stories. And you feel so responsible too, right? Yeah, responsible to make sure they they can deliver their story and and they feel comfortable and and they get out what they need to get out. And with grief, oftentimes there are other complications or other things going on, like family, family relationships that come out. And there's no way for me to follow up with everybody and check in. And it's just I'm a one one person show. So I found a couple of things really helped me through that period of time. One was just I ended up hiring a lawyer to write my release form. Mm, That's so smart. It was like, okay, well, if it's bothering me so much, (laughs) what's one tangible thing I can do? Once I did that, I was like, so relieved. And I don't even know why why I was so focused on that. It's clearly not the most important thing um, to produce a podcast that it doesn't, you know, have a lot of audience, but it was important for me. Um, so that was that helped. The other thing that helped was I talked with a Zen Buddhist friend of mine who I think he is, he's gone on to school for this. I, I don't know what that makes him in terms of a title, but I talked with him about the experience I had when I was interviewing in person of one person saying that they felt stuck afterwards. Hmm. And that was interesting to me because I had felt that the conversation was actually not very stuck at all. Hmm. And I didn't really understand the term stuck. And so he said to me, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, you know what you're doing, you're, you're holding it. There's no ritual around, around your podcast. You don't, you're not ending and finishing and involving the participants in taking ownership as much as you are. And so I shifted my strategy altogether. I continued to do it in person. In person was so much better. Of course, now we can't do that. But I started and I ended every podcast with the chime of a Tibetan bowl, which sound healing has really helped me with my own grief and my own anxiety. So I incorporated that element. And the symbol of the bowl for me is to show the container at the beginning and the end of the experience that we're having together. And then I also asked 
for people to bring in photos of their parents and then acknowledge the photo and acknowledge what was happening in the photo. And then my dad also was mm. in the room. And so we would put them together next to the bowl and it created a ritual around the interview for me that symbolized the ritual that I have with grief too. I spend the time to acknowledge that my father existed and he's important in my life. And I use sound healing to connect myself to a, a spiritual place. Cool. I love that. Mm. That's really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm very curious to learn more about what have been the things that uh, your research about grief have most surprised you. <laughs> I'm still learning about grief. <laughs> um, I just had an interview with somebody and I'm taking a brief break from the normal interview format to focus on what it's like to grieve at a distance. And I had a conversation with a bibliotherapist who talked to me about books as ways to process grief or be with grief. And what's so, what's so surprising to me about that conversation, which would seemingly be obvious to everybody else, but for me, she suggested not reading books about grief, to read books that take you out of your experience of grief, because then you can put yourself in another place, which seems so obvious. But for me, when I was processing grief, I was reading all of the books about grief. I was reading um, people's personal accounts of grief, especially. And that for me was comforting. But it was surprising to me at the time to hear that they're focusing on something else outside of you was actually helpful. Did that make a difference then going forward in changing things up a bit? So I just spoke with her actually oh. last week. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just it's it's just a seedling of like concept. It shouldn't surprise me that there are so many ways to grieve, of course. Mm. And hmm. that using books with topics that are not about grief could actually really help. I think that conversation reminded me of just my value of books and and that was something that I did. I did a lot of rereading of the same book when I was grieving. Which and, one? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. It was an Anne Lamott book, and I can't remember the exact one. I've been searching for it, but I moved twice since then, so <laughs> I think it didn't make the cut. But it was it was familiar to me, and it was hmm. when I lost him, it took me back to a state of how I was when I was 13 and I was very introverted at that age and books were very much my means of operation. And so it, it took me back to that place and the book that I had was the only real thing that I could focus on. And it, it also, I wasn't really focusing because I was reading and rereading and it, the words weren't really settling mm -hmm. in. I wasn't 
but I wasn't forced to memorize them or anything. There wasn't a reason for reading this. It was just familiar and it was comforting. How much of grief uh, stays with you through the rest of your life, at least to this point, now that it's been a few years, but how much do you still feel that grief and to what extent? So I think there's a popular misconception with the stages of grief that you go through them in a linear way. And when you're done, you've reached this, this transcendence. Yeah. And then it's over <laughs> and you made it. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, and, exactly. And it, there's an analogy that's used in the grief world called waves. And I think that it's a pretty good one where you may experience one phase or one stage of that at one point in a very intense way. And then maybe it'll calm down for a time and then come back. And it can calm down for years. Like I've had the experience myself where, uh, you know, my grandparents all passed away. You know, it's been a while. It's It's been a few years at least. And um, I still sometimes get these intense moments where I'm just like, oh my goodness, I miss my grandmother so much or whatever, you know? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think probably the lack of acknowledgement of it, and in, at least initially, can also lead to other manifestations of grief down the line. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people might end up in, not a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, because I don't really know, but the... <laughs> Blocking of grief can lead to other experiences like depression or other emotions or Mm -hmm. feelings. Anger. I don't know how to describe. It's more like a condition. Depression and anger, yes. And anger, of course, can be grief too. But it's not acknowledging it for what it is, I think, is is the real challenge. And not, not like fully, if you just fully go into grief... And this is actually surprising to me. It was surprising to me when I did it. If you just fully go into grief, you're not going to feel grief forever. You're not going to be in this really raw, dark place forever. You're going to see it and feel it and be with it. But then something might change immediately after. You might find um, joy at the end of that. Like when I went, one of the things I did when, after my dad passed away, I hiked part of the Camino de Santiago in Spain Mm. and I did it because he had always wanted to do it. And I spread his ashes along the route. um, Mm. And every day, every single day, I had a chance to confront the fact that he was not alive and over time, by the end of that second week that I was there, I was in this new habit, this new ritual, this acceptance, and I just felt this great sense of grace that he was with me, and he was much more with me often than when he was even alive, because we hadn't mm. had that daily kind of interaction. That's mm. beautiful. Yeah. I'm, uh, so I'm listening to you. And I'm trying to process it, I guess, from my perspective. And there may be some listeners who uh, 
would be in the same boat. I've, I'm, I'm very fortunate. My parents are both still alive, and I've, you know, I have a brother and sister, and they're alive and healthy. Although my brother had a cancer scare about ten years ago, and and he came through it pretty quickly. But that was a bit of a wake up moment. But um, in terms of grief, I've, my grandparents are all gone, but they live for the most part long, healthy. Rich lives, uh, well into their 80s. Uh, my one grandfather did pass away in his 70s from cancer, but it was a long time ago, and I didn't really know him all that well. My other grandfather had Parkinson's disease for over 30 years, and he, uh, you know, he slowly became more and more frail and up to the end. And even he died about 15 years ago. And I don't know, that was that was a moment. That was a moment for me. I wasn't there right at the very end. I, I showed up a couple hours later, and my dad was there, and family was around. And, you know, my grandpa was there, and he was he was lying on his bed, and, and he was dead. And it was, uh, it was a peaceful moment. And we were all, you know, you have that relief, especially with people who've been really sick for a long time, that they've been released, and that uh, their pain is over, and so on. And so we certainly felt that, and it was a sadness, but it was kind of a, it was kind of um, feeling of contentment in a way that his journey was over. And for me, it was, it was a real shock in the sense that I witnessed the end of a life. I witnessed, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew his story and you know the things he'd done in his life and his work and his family, of course. And now this is the end, and his story, aside from our memories, he will not write his own story any longer. I found that really profound. And ever since that moment, that was in 2005, ever since that moment, I really pledged to make the most of life kind of thing, you know, really be conscious and aware of the moment. And, you know, because even if you're fortunate and you live into your 80s and, or longer, I mean, we're all going to go at some point. And so what else can we do but make the most of it? Mm-hmm. So I, it didn't scare me. But when I listen to you, and not that I'm scared, but I just don't know. I, I'm not sure how to process it when it comes to somebody like, you know, really close with respect to my grandparents, but obviously my parents or my siblings or my wife, of course, my kids, I don't, you know, if someone who was really close to me uh, passed away, whether it was sudden or from uh, sickness or something, and I don't know how I'll process it. I I like to think that, uh, you know, I'll still keep some of that perspective that, well, whether their pain is over or they're at peace or they lived a full life and it makes... All of us who are still alive appreciate it even more, hopefully. But one of the things that triggered this was, a, a, it's about a couple of weeks ago now, and a really, really, really close family friend also passed away, who also had Parkinson's disease, kind of a coincidence. We knew what it was like. But uh, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years. She had faded away so much, and uh, she lived you know, a few hours away from where I live now. But she was kind of like a second mother to us, to me, my brother and my sister growing up. But... Uh, because we're at this distance, I can't, there's no funeral. We don't know when there's going to be any kind of um, remembrance type ceremony or, or what that's yeah. going to involve. And, and this is a whole other context of this too, as people try to deal with it, with with death and grieving in the context of being isolated and quarantined and, and socially cut off and all the rest. And I see, I see more attention being paid to that. Even just the last few days, there's been kind of New York Times articles, interviews, uh, things on TV shows, people talking about how to process grief and death and so on uh, when we're so socially isolated. And I'm not really sure what else uh, we can say about it aside from just, you know, try to be prepared for the moment when we do have the chance to interact again. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's something that's been really on my mind as well. Um, 
my husband and I were talking yesterday. I was having a really, really hard day where I was exhausted. I was just so tired. And I was like, why am I so tired? And my husband reminded me that we're going through a worldwide trauma as a human race. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I guess I hadn't really consciously thought about how those things, how the whole thing was affecting me. I realized it's affecting me in much more of a subtle way than you would think. And I started sort of thinking about, yeah, what have I seen in the news headlines? Not that I'm like super, I'm not checking the news every five minutes. I'm not really seeking it out, but I just happen to hear things and see things and whatever. And, you know, seeing headlines of like, there's an island in New York where they're making mass graves for people who don't have family or loved ones and have possibly passed away Mm -hmm. from the coronavirus. And it's like, of course those things are going to affect me in some way that I maybe don't realize outwardly, outright, obviously, but are, are affecting me because, of course, I take that information in and then I process it somehow in my brain and in my body. And then, of course, this is resulting in some depression and some exhaustion and mm-hmm. fatigue and whatever. And it's just unprecedented. You know, the last pandemic that we had on this wide scale was, I guess, the Spanish flu. And none of us were there, right? So... Mm-hmm. I definitely would love to hear Sarah's perspective on this. Um, Both Sarah's, actually. (laughs) Both Sarah's would probably have good things to say. Um. Well, I would like to to mention about what uh, Vanessa was mentioning before, right? We've been talking about death and grief, but um, I was thinking that actually grief happens with loss or transitions or, or even... Uh, when you change uh, job position, it can happen in, in any situation in life, right? And I really resonated with what Sarah was saying before, that uh, grief uh, opens up a door for transformational growth. And now uh, that our whole world is, is going to change our habits from, or maybe also culturally, we are going to see changes. And, and the way uh, people interact between each other. And that's something that is going to bring a lot of grief to the world, right? How can we help our, our listeners and, and audience to, to find a way to encounter peace within these times? What have you learned, Sarah, that during this research that could give some tips to our audience? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I and I realize I never fully answered Ted's question earlier about how my grief has changed. I think once you once you feel grief and once you're able to fully acknowledge what that feeling is, then you're able to see it in other people. It's almost like flexing that muscle of grief gives you a unique opportunity to be empathetic in a way. And if more people are able to see where other people are coming from, I feel like there is going to be social change for good. And it may be hard to see right now. Because I know, Sarah, you're coming from Spain. I was just there. It was um, very affectionate culture. Lots of touching involved when you first see somebody who you haven't seen in a long time and kissing and touching and kissing and hugging and those are things that are all not allowed right now so it's um, totally going to transform a lot of 
our culture. But the question is, what will we, what will we figure out? How will we figure out a new way? And I don't think we're going to really know yet. I think all we can do is begin to feel and identify right now what this feeling is. Like a lack of focus or like with Vanessa, you know, feeling just overwhelmed and tired. As soon as we can attach that to something that we can recognize is happening to us for a certain reason, it can really help us to recognize it later and recognize it in others, which can in turn help us to be more empathetic, which in turn can help us make some hopefully very positive social changes that I think probably have been needed for a long time. I think you said something very powerful there because um, as we were kind of touching, uh, grief can be can be subtle. And sometimes you uh, you will feel grief, but you won't really recognize that reason or, or where is it coming from. And and finding the the core of, of the grief and of the emotions, it's really um, important in order to be able to transform and and to go through and thrive through those emotions. Yeah, and I think if you're not feeling focused, maybe also acknowledge that and don't be productive that in that moment. Because if you keep trying to push through it, it's not going to have a chance to really for you to really feel it. Mm. Do you have any stories, if you remember from the interviews, the conversations you've done of people who, obviously before all this happened, were forced to grieve from a distance, perhaps on their own, or at least just far away from the people they loved and had now lost? Well, I can tell you personally what I've been going through. I started the podcast because for me, I didn't want to go to a grief group at the time. And so it's somewhat ironic that right now I am finding comfort in an online grief group. It's also very based in um, African traditions. So there's a lot of song, there's a lot of wailing and just acknowledging of grief. And it happens every Sunday night. It's called the Grief Tenders. I can give you a link later. And although I think not in your time zone, (laughs) but we'll see. Um, It's, It's so wonderful for me because even though I'm not still experiencing the grief of my dad, my best friend from high school passed away the day after I got back from Spain a month ago. And I, even though I know all of this information about grief, I know I need to feel my grief. I know I need to do all of these things. I have not allowed myself time in my daily life to acknowledge that loss. And so when I go to this grief group, I spend two hours on the Sunday night crying and screaming and talking with other people and hearing them cry and scream. And yes, it's probably awkward to be doing that in my apartment. (laughs) But for me, it's just so important to have that space for it. Otherwise, I would just keep internalizing it and not have something. Something um, that came up about how to do this remotely 
or at least that I've seen somebody else do remotely, is she, once a week on Saturday, sends a text about her her daughter. This is the same person. who it was. She was also a podcast participant because she lost her parents. She sends a text to the family and friends, close friends, about Melissa just to honor her. Uh, usually it's a a picture that she has, a memory. And then everybody in response usually sends prayers or positive thoughts. Hmm. She's also a social worker, so she knows that she needs that connection. (laughs) Not everybody would, you know, have the insight to do that about their lost daughter. But um, that is a form of connection. I think there have also been online vigils being held. There's one that Reimagine does on Zoom, reimagines an online, well, normally they're an in-person festival about topics on end of life and death and grief. And they've gone online with a lot of their content and their festival is going to be online this year. And they once a month have a vigil where everybody lights a candle. It's sort of religious that I think somebody of the Jewish tradition and somebody of the Christian tradition leads a part of it. So there is a religious element to it, but it's also a communal element. So using the Zoom chat feature, everybody can write in what they've lost or what they're feeling, you know, loss over or the, the emotional experience of seeing, like, for instance, that mass grave in New York. How can we share that with other people? I think they've done a really good job of that, at least connecting on Zoom virtually. That's really interesting. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, the adjustment of incorporating technology more is really interesting. And I want to say that it's not actually something super foreign. Like, it's not like people haven't been doing this. Like, I feel like I've heard of people here and there, you know, having loved ones Skype in for a memorial or something like that. But um, I don't think it was done as at such a large scale as it is now. And it's something we may just have to get used to, you know, for the foreseeable future, whether we like it or Mm. not. But uh, if, at least if you want to do something um, to bring family and people together, what other choice may we have Mm -hmm. for, you know, the next few months at least. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. There's like a conception around grief and I, I understand why. I actually moved a lot of my interviews in person because there's a value in having a human presence to, when you're talking about vulnerable concepts. But but there is a conception out there in that particular space that you need to be in person to fully appreciate and acknowledge it. But you really don't. Like you could actually have a similar experience online. It's just it's something. It's something yeah. is better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree that there's more of a connection, energy, power, whatever you want to call it, for people to be in person together. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have that community, feel the feelings you're feeling, and experience uh, remembering that person in a virtual way, right? It's transformation. Yeah. Well, I think it's been nice to, it's, it's been uh, cathartic to an extent to talk about some of these feelings and experiences, um, each of us sharing 
some of our stories, of course, and uh, what brings us to not just to talk about this, but to want to talk about it. I mean, it comes back to the death cafes there as well. I think maybe we each have to get there in our own time, you know, to be comfortable talking about death and the end of life and grieving. But um, if you get to that point, whenever you do, then it it helps to feel better. You feel more comfortable about it, and you do start to see life as kind of this grand arch, you know, from birth to death and everything in between, and like the great story that is a person's life. Again, it goes back to my grandfather there, and it wasn't something out of sadness so much. It was just, wow, this is fascinating to see the end of that story, you know? And I've felt that in other times from, from people and just witnessing the end of their book. And... uh Obviously, there's, there's emotion and there's sadness and there's, there can be trauma and things that come with it, but at least being open to talking about it, sharing those feelings, which is why the podcast mm. is, uh, Sarah's podcast is, is such a great help. I, I heartily encourage everyone to give it a listen, and I will recommend to really take the time to, to sit down and listen. I started to listen to an episode and I was washing the dishes and stuff like that. As I, within a couple of minutes, that, wait a second, I need to really, maybe make a cup of tea, sit down, and give this the proper focus it deserves. So it, when you listen to the show, make sure you do that. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Thank you. Yeah, and, and there's something that you said that I think is really important to point out, is that death is as much about life as it is about death. Mm-hmm. And loss is as much about life. There's at the core that, that love and how can you continue that mm. it can, can it can continue beyond death thank you very much sarah for your time and for your expertise and and thoughts yes thank you so much and tips of course thanks and we hope we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon thank you it's been a pleasure talking to you 